Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Wa ala wa Last time we left off, we left off in the third section of the poem. And as we had said in the beginning, there's ten sections to the poem. The third section is on praising the Prophet And if I'm not incorrect, we left off on this line. I don't know which number it is because he doesn't have numbers here. Did you guys mark your book? Which one do you have? Do you know? I'm pretty sure it's this line. But the last notes I have are something about <laughs> about hunger. Wrong class. I think hunger. Either way, we'll start here. I think it, it, we may have done this verse, but it's okay. Because this will be a different commentary anyways, so it's fine. Bismillah. So we're in the third section on praising the Prophet Then We'll start with this verse. Uh, I guess we'll send the person. I have 31. Do you have the translation of it? Um, the only notes are to for true elevation and greatness is not indicated by material goods. Yes, that's the one we're going to do. Okay, so, but we had done that one. Yeah. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do it again in a different way, inshallah. Bismillah. Qala al-musannifu rahimahullahu ta'ala wa nafanullahu iyyahu bi'ilumihi fi darin amin wa rawadatun jibalu shummu min zahabin an nafsihi fa'araha ayyama shamami Lofty mountains tried to tempt him with turning to gold but he showed them the height of his own loftiness. So the meaning here is that these lofty mountains, mountains around the Prophet they tried to tempt him by turning to gold. That Allah had given, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll get to the hadith that is the basis for this, the background for this verse. But that was the option that was given to him them. And he said no. So what the poet is saying is that these lofty mountains, they tried to seduce him in a way by turning to gold. And he showed them the height of his own loftiness. So he showed them what true loftiness was. Ibn Ajiba here, he says that he talked about earlier how praise can be given to someone for a number of different reasons. One of the reasons that you could praise someone is for acquired traits. So basically, these are things that they're good qualities that someone has uh, because of work that they have put forth to attain these qualities. So maybe someone is not accustomed to praying in the night, for example, but they discipline themselves and they set their alarm and they structure their life and they lessen their sins and all of this kind of stuff. So then they're able to pray in the night. So then they're praiseworthy because they prayed in the night, right? Or maybe someone else has more of a difficulty with uh, thinking well of others. Thinking well of others, maybe. So, after a lot of time, they struggle against themselves and they work through it. And then they realize, you know, they get to a point where they, they do actually think well of others. And to think well of others doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be naive. We've talked about that before too, I think. But they have good thoughts about others. So then they're praised for this thing. 
I wasn't intending to go down that route, but since it just came in front of us, it's important to mention that having good, uh, thinking well of others, and thinking well of Allah, are two of the most important qualities that we can have as we're trying to better ourselves. So Sidi Muhammad ibn Habib, uh, a great recent Moroccan scholar, he says he has a poem called Buraq al-Tariq, and the poem is called The Buraq of the Path to Allah. So the idea is that he's trying to tell you in this poem, these are the things, if you do them, you're going to go to Allah as fast as the Buraq went from Mecca to Jerusalem, the animal that the Prophet ﷺ rode in the night journey and ascension. So they say that the Buraq's speed was that if you look the entire distance of the horizon, as soon as you see it, he travels it. It's basically, you know, it's very, very fast. So he said in this poem, وَخِصْلَتَانِ لَيْسَ شَيْءٌ يُجَدُ فَوْقَهُمَا مِنَ الْخَيْرَاتِ يُحْمَدُ حُسْنُ ظَنًّا بِاللَّهِ ثُمَّ بِالْعِبَادِ فَكُنْهُمَا وَجَنِّبَنَّ لِلْعِنَادِ He said that there's two qualities. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing that's above them in their praiseworthiness. Two qualities, there's nothing above them in their praiseworthiness. The first is to have good, uh, to think well of God. And the second is to think well of God's servants. So he says, don't, you know, do these and don't stay away from them. So to have good, think well of God and to think well of God's servants. Thinking well of God is extremely important. Extremely, extremely important. Uh, because this is a fundamental issue of aqidah. That we believe that God is merciful, that we believe that God is good, that we believe that God is powerful, that we believe that God is eternal, that we believe that God is unchanging. And we recognize and realize that He, as the creator of all things, has brought existence into creation. And in Him bringing existence into creation, it is creation, you know, part of being created is that it is uh, subject to change. So that which is hadith uh, is it's yaqbal al-taghir or it's yataghir. You know, things that are created, they're temporal and they change. This is really important. This this particular point because everything in life has ups and downs, and there's good times and there's bad times and there's hard times and there's easy times. But everything in creation is subject to change. The only thing that doesn't change is Allah. So even when we face difficulties or when we as individuals or as communities or not even sometimes it's not only that we face difficulties externally oftentimes the most troubling and hard difficulties we face are the ones that are inside of our own chest you know it's nobody else sees them it's like you're just sitting there and there's these things that are going on inside the thoughts that we have or the feelings that we have and the the constriction sometimes that we have versus the expansion that other times that we have so Knowing that Allah is eternal, Allah does not change, Allah is ever-present, is extremely important because it helps us to recognize, uh, or it helps us to be, to think well of Him, to think well of Him, and that His knowledge is infinite. And the second side of it is to think well of His servants. What's interesting about this duality here, this, this, these two that He mentions here, is that these are essentially the consequence of the shahada. Right. The declaration of faith Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah Necessitates that we think well of Allah 
And it necessitates that we think well of the servants of Allah. Because the shahada, it means, there's two things that the shahada tells us immediately. One of them is that God exists. The second thing that the shahada tells us is that good people exist. Good people exist. One of the things that happens oftentimes, it's a struggle, is that you deal with someone, you deal with someone, you deal with something, and then something bad happens, right? Maybe they make a mistake, maybe they whatever. And then what do normal people say? Normal people would say, uh, yeah, I knew this person for so long and everything was fine, and then we had this problem and I saw their true colors. Right? I saw their true, I saw what they were really about. Right? It's actually the opposite. It's actually the opposite. When someone slips and they make a mistake, that's not what they're really about. Because everyone in their original essence is really about being good. In our original essence, we're really about being good. So when someone makes a mistake, that's not actually what they're really about. That's not who they really are. In their, in their spiritual essence, that's not who they really are. That's a material mistake that happens. But, you know, dealing with that is extremely difficult. <laughs> dealing with that is extremely difficult. And sometimes, you know, depending on the level of it, it can be really tough. The Prophet ﷺ accepted forgiveness and repentance and Islam from all kinds of people who did horrible things to him. Right? Like, it's a, it's a trip to read hadith where Hind is in the hadith. You know, like there's a hadith where Hind comes to the Prophet ﷺ and she says, Ya Rasulullah, my husband is a stingy man. <laughs> Straight up. She, just <laughs> she has to ask. So she tells him, my husband is a stingy man. And he doesn't really give us enough, myself and my children, to live off of. So can I take his money without him knowing? This is the question. Yeah. That's dishonest. Hmm? Dishonest. Eh. <laughs> he said yes. He said you can take enough to take care of yourself and your children. Oh. Now what's important is to understand that the Prophet ﷺ played different roles. So basically the role that the Prophet ﷺ is playing in that particular question is the role of the judge. So it's like if a woman went to the judge and said, I don't know if there might be some close relationship with this today, but maybe, and said, it's basically the judge is requiring the husband to pay for the children, more or less, right? That's essentially what the Prophet ﷺ did. So, she told, so he told her, you can take what's enough for you and your children to get by, and you can't take more than that. But the point is, that, that part of him playing the role as a judge and answering that question is that that's not something that you can generalize to every situation. The Prophet ﷺ understood the particular details of that exact situation, and he gave a ruling according to that situation. So we don't like go home and take from our, our spouses or our parents or anything like that, right? But the point that I was getting to is that the person who's asking that question is Hind. Hind, who in the battle of Uhud paid, basically told Wahshi, if you, who is the great spearman, if you go and you kill Hamza, then I will set you free. And she was so adamant that Hamza عن, has to be killed because Hamza had killed so many of her relatives in the, in the battle of Badr. So when Uhud happened, she was a non-Muslim at that time, 
And she said to Wahshi, I'm going to set you free if you kill Hamza. So Wahshi went into the battle. The only thing he was trying to do was kill Hamza. And he killed Hamza in the battle. And afterwards, Hind came and disfigured Hamza, took his liver out, and bit from his liver. Okay, it's disgusting. But the point is, she's in the hadith. Like she comes to the Prophet ﷺ and asks him this question and he answers the question. That's a lot of That's a lot of forgiveness That's a lot of forgiveness Wahshi on the other hand The Prophet ﷺ wasn't able to do it Wahshi took shahada And the Prophet ﷺ accepted his shahada from him And then he told him like Please actually just Try to keep a distance from me Because it's really hard You killed my My uncle right Hamza's uncle Or his cousin Hamza it's his relative. Killed his relative. He's Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, isn't he? I think it's his uncle. Uncle. So he I can never remember which one's the uncle and cousin until I like go down and see you're the son of who and then I have to draw the tree in my head and figure it out. I just can't memorize it, I don't know why. So sometimes the forgiveness, my point was sometimes the forgiveness is hard. But we have to remember that, that people's bad actions are not actually an expression of their true self. Especially people who are believers. It's not a, especially people, you know them, they're good. You've seen good from them. You know that they want good. It's not an expression of their true self. Another thing that's interesting kind of in this light is that with Allah, time does not exist. Right In the sense that Allah is beyond time I don't know if we talked about this before It's a very interesting concept When the Prophet ﷺ made dua He said, Oh Allah, whoever is more beloved to you From Amr or Umar Abu Jahl or Umar ibn Khattab Then guide them to Islam Right? Doesn't that seem, Wait, like how How can one of them be more beloved to Allah When both of them are enemies of Islam? In, in that exact moment, both of them are enemies to Islam, right? In the moment that the Prophet is making this prayer, both of them are enemies to Islam. But in, in, in the knowledge of Allah, the end game of Umar radiallahu anhu was already occurred. Because his knowledge goes farther, his knowledge is beyond the limitation of time. So even though Umar at that particular instant in the knowledge of the Prophet ﷺ was a disbeliever and an enemy of Islam, in the knowledge of God he was a believer. Because <laughs> the time doesn't... So we should think about this when we deal with people. Muslims and non-Muslims. That we don't know what the timeline of their belief is from our eyes. Maybe they're actually going to become believers. Maybe they're going through a down spell. Maybe they're going through whatever it might be. So people can be praised for one of three things. We're on the first sentence of the commentary still. One of them is acquired traits. The second one is instinctual and innate qualities. So the second one is that some people, they have to work in order to attain certain qualities, right? We talked about the... Um, pay, I forget which ones we particularly talked about. It was 10 minutes ago now. But it was... Some qualities are acquired. Sometimes people, they have an innate ability towards one particular quality or any number of qualities. Like some people, they have to really work to be patient. Some people are just patient. 
They're just, and you see this with children. It's the most amazing thing, right? The child is born, and within you see so early on different character traits of children. And for people who have many children, they'll say like, yeah, this one they just had a different personality than that one. They're at two months, at one month, this one has a different personality than that one. One is more patient. One is more assertive. One is more whatever it might be. So there's certain qualities, the, the scholars of the hearts, Imam al-Ghazali talks about this. He says that there's certain qualities a person might have facilitation to them. There's other qualities a person might have to struggle with them. But all of them are praiseworthy and wanted in the end. So he's saying the second thing you might praise someone for is that they have these qualities. Uh, the Prophet them here is being praised specifically for his choice uh, that is, is that happened in this hadith. So when there is a hadith that the angel Jibreel salam came to the Prophet and he said to him, Allah gives his salam to you and he says, Would you like me to turn these mountains into gold and silver for you, being with you wherever you go? The Messenger of Allah lowered his head for some time and then said, O Jibreel, this world is the abode of him who has no abode, and it is the wealth of him who has no wealth. Only a person lacking intellect seeks to amass it. And Jibreel salam said, May Allah make you firm, O Muhammad, with that firm statement. So he was given the choice and the Prophet ﷺ considered it. What I think is fascinating about this, this particular story, let me read the next hadith first and then I'll say this. There's another one that Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, Truly Allah presented the mountains of Mecca to me and offered to turn them into gold and silver. But I said, Lord, I prefer to go hungry one day and eat to my fill the next. For the day in which I go hungry, I turn fervently to you and call upon you. And on the day in which I eat my fill, I praise and extol you. When the Prophet وسلم, said, Eat my fill, it's interesting. So this is the, the next narration. Ibn Ajiba, look, so what's amazing is this genre of literature, of poems praising the Prophet ﷺ and all of this stuff, a big part of this is to have adab with the Prophet, to have good manners with the Prophet, peace be upon him. Ibn Ajiba, when he comments on this statement, and I want to some days eat my fill, then he knows that some people, they might hear that, and without even realizing it, have bad adab with the Prophet ﷺ. And assume that he means by that that he would get full. Right? So Ibn Ajiba he saves us. He says, When the Prophet said, Eat my fill, he meant it as he meant it as the opposite of hunger. For his satiety was in that which maintained his life and health. The Prophet Aisha said, Never was the Prophet's belly filled with food. And Abdul Rahman ibn Awf said, The Prophet passed away while neither he nor his family had eaten their fill of barley bread. So you see what he did? He wants to make sure that we think properly about the Prophet. So he says, I want to be hungry one day and I want to be filled the next day. He says, His fill doesn't mean the one that you're thinking about when you go to the all you can eat buffet. His fill is the one where he just got enough to, to, to keep himself going. To keep himself going, right? Sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam. What I think is amazing to come back to that point about this hadith is that most of us, even the good amongst us, if we were given the option that the Prophet was given here, the good amongst us would say what? Bismillah. 
<laughs> the good amongst us say, Bismillah, give me the two mountains, gold and silver, it's good. I'll spend it on Lanma, make sure that somebody comes back, he's okay. I'll, I'll help the masjid, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll start a business, it'll help the poor, whatever it might be, right? Most of us would say, give me that money. Bismillah, give me that money, Ya Allah, and we'll use it for good. And then we'll take care of ourselves too, right? <laughs> That's what we would do. It's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I just want to be clear. It's not necessarily a bad thing. The bad amongst us would say, give me that money, and they'd use it all on themselves and like start a business where they oppress their workers and treat them like, you know what, and all of these other things, right? But the good amongst us would probably want the money to use it in a good way. And that's, that's wanting the money to use it in a good way is a good thing. The Prophet ﷺ actually mentions that in a hadith. That one of the, two, one of the people you can be jealous of is the person, like the good jealous, in Arabic, there's two jealous. One of them is a jealous that's good, and one of them is a jealous that's bad. I think in English there is two, but my English is not strong enough to know that difference, I guess. Which is interesting, but... One of them is a jealousy where you admire what the person has, and you wish you had it too. And the other one is a jealousy where you admire what the person has, and you're, you're envious of them for it, and in a bad way, and you want them to lose it. And you want to get it. Right? So the, jeal- the good jealousy... You can have for someone who has knowledge or someone who has no knowledge of the Qur'an and they recite it and so on and so forth. And the other one is to have wealth and spend it in the way of Allah. When we talk about the Prophet ﷺ though, we don't talk about just what is halal and what is haram. We don't talk about just what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. We talk about what is the loftiest of heights. For the Prophet ﷺ, it's about the loftiest of heights. And in, uh, for ourselves and our personal lives, uh, the first stage, yes, is to think about, am I above the line in terms of what is allowed and what's not allowed on any number of things in our lives, right? But the second side of it is to think about, like, okay, is there a higher place even above that? And that, that closeness, that act will bring me closer to Allah, so I'm going to do it anyways, right? So the Prophet wasallam he's given that choice, he chooses to be... Low to the ground, so to speak. He says it behooves the Prophet's heirs among the scholars and saints to emulate him and leave the world and avoid looking towards it, busying themselves instead with the obligations of servitude that are incumbent upon them. Ibn Ajiba might, and not might, he definitely did live in a different world than we live in. So we always. Sometimes I drive around LA and I just think to myself that this is a messed up country. And why I'm saying that is that poverty here is not just the absence of wealth. Poverty in America oftentimes is also linked with the stripping of a person's dignity. And those are two different things. So when he's talking about not caring for the world and all this kind of stuff, he's not talking about losing your dignity. He's not talking about like having to beg in the streets and not have any place to live and then cops come and kick you out he's not talking about cities that eliminate all types of public bathrooms so that if you don't have a place to live you're basically pushed out he's not talking about um, economic systems that lead to the destruction of human beings he's not talking about those kind of things he's talking about you know you have a home you have food let it go after that let it go 
you should be dedicated to knowledge, you should be dedicated to serving people and so on and so forth. What he's saying is that the people who are trying to follow the Prophet's way, they should not get too deeply involved with the world, you know, in, in a very material sense. Doesn't mean that everyone has to do that. Again, he's talking about if you're going to go higher. Abu Hassan al Shadri radiallahu an. He talked about miracles. So the third thing that the person he says the person can be praised for is for uh, miraculous things that happen to them. Miraculous things still happen to human beings. Uh, when they happen to prophets They're considered to be miracles And attestments to their prophethood But people up to today They have miraculous things They could be really small You know They're not small Because Allah is willing them to occur So that's, that's, that's a big deal But they could be seemingly small things Right um, there's, a, there's a video online If you want to on YouTube, there's a video of Sheikh Hamza talking about Sheikh Hamza Yusuf talking about a miracle that he witnessed from Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah. I don't know if any of you have seen this video. It's a very short clip. They're in like Malaysia or somewhere in the Far East, or it might be in South Asia. I don't know. And for somehow someone caught this remark on video and put it up on YouTube. I don't know how they did that. Right? It's in this random place. But basically, Sheikh Hamza is saying that he was with Dr. Omar and they were somewhere. And there was this car accident And they came upon the car accident And there was a body that was stuck underneath the car And the person was going to die And Dr. Omar was with Sheikh Hamza And Dr. Omar went straight over to the car And he grabbed the car And he told him, he said, Hamza When I tell you to do so, you take the body out And then he said, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar And he raised the car And Sheikh Hamza pulled the body out from underneath the car He's telling the story himself We consider him to be an honest person right? But miracles do happen to people They can be small, they can be big The point is That we shouldn't be distracted By these things So Shaykh Abdul Hassan al-Shadini One of the greatest masters of the spiritual path He says the following He said there are two comprehensive And encompassing miracles Actualizing the miracle Of Iman Faith with an increase in certitude and direct witnessing and actualizing the miracle of works that are through emulation and following the Prophet and avoiding false pretentious claims and self-delusion. So he's saying if you really want to worry about miraculous things, I'll tell you the miraculous things you should worry about. You should worry about your iman increasing and staying strong and you should worry about doing deeds that are in line with the Prophet Those are the two biggest miracles. And he is one of the greatest masters of the spiritual path in the history of Islam. Uh, so he's saying, if someone is granted these two miracles, yet still longs for something else besides them, he is a gross liar and slanderer, or he is badly mistaken in knowledge and action. So what he's saying is that a lot of times people, they get really, you know, it's like, oh, we have to look for these miracles and look for these things. And like, that becomes their whole reason. They, they become... They become people who worship Allah so that they can become superheroes rather than actually becoming close to Allah. Right? They want some. They want Allah to like give them some superpower, <laughs> and then that's what they're going for. It says if you want to focus on something, you should be going for this. The greatest miracle is be steadfast. And if you're steadfast and you're looking for something else on top of that, then you're deluded. You don't actually understand Islam. He may be likened to a person who is honored to witness a king who is well pleased with him yet longs to go out and tend the beast and refuses the king's good pleasure. 
Like the person wants to be with the king, they get to be with the king and they're like, wait, actually I need to go outside and hang out with the, go- with the goat. Right? So you miss the point. If Allah has allowed you to be steadfast and be strong in your iman and follow the way of the Prophet then that's what you wanted. Those other things are not what you wanted, but that's what you wanted, to be close to Allah. Every miracle that is not accompanied by good pleasure from Allah and through Allah, its recipient is deluded and lured to destruction or is deficient or destroyed. What's interesting about the story I just told you of Dr. Omar and Sheikh Hamza is that Dr. Omar is sitting next to him when he told that story. You'll see it in the video. They're sitting on the stage together. And Sheikh Hamza tells the story and Dr. Omar is sitting there. And it's as if it never happened. (laughs) He's just sitting there. He's like doing his thing, listening. Sheikh Hamza tells the story. There's no... There's like not even a flinch of the change in his anything. Because Tim is like, whatever. Who cares about that? That doesn't even matter. What matters is being close to Allah. Right? People, so he, it's interesting to watch. It's a short video, but there's a lot to learn from it. We have a little bit more time. We'll take two more verses because the two more they're connected to each other. وَأَكَدَتْ زُهْدَهُ فِيهَا ضُرُورَتُهُ إِنَّ الضُرُورَةَ لَا تَعْتُوا عَلَى الْعِصَمِ وَكَيْفَ تَدْعُوا إِلَى الدُّنْيَا ضُرُورَةُ مَنْ لَوْ لَاهُ لَمْ تَخْرُجَ الدُّنْيَا مِنَ الْعَدْمِ He said, his, desire needly, his dire needliness only strengthened his detachment. Neediness like his is, never leads to transgression. How could need tempt him with worldliness when but for him the world would not have emerged from non-existence? So we're not going to talk too much about the last line because it's extremely controversial. And one of the reasons that this poem is now left in modern times by many people is that there are a couple lines that are very controversial. So they throw out the entire poem. So we're not, I'll, I'll say just a little bit about the last line, but not much. So the point here is that his neediness only strengthened his detachment. And a neediness like his, it never leads to transgression. So what he's saying is that the Prophet wasallam's need for the world only because he, he chose to be needing of the world, right? He chose to not be in a position where he's flooded with wealth. And his neediness for the world actually only increased him in his detachment from the world. Which is an interesting concept. Think about that. His neediness for the world only strengthened him in his detachment for the world. You see this with some people. And you see the opposite with some people. Right? There's, I, I don't know if it's a hadith or not, but it's sometimes attributed to the Prophet them, so we can just take it as like a proverb or a wise saying. That, la yashba'an. Yashba'an. Talibu ilmin wa talibu mal. That there's two people they're never satisfied. Their hunger is never satisfied. Two people, their hunger is never satisfied. The one who is seeking knowledge and the one who is seeking wealth. It's never enough. For knowledge, it's never enough. It's like, and the more you learn, the more you realize you're ignorant. There's the Imam Shabi who said, knowledge is three parts. I can never remember what the third one was. But he says the first part, people get it and they think they know something. And the second part, they, 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 they realize that they don't know anything. And the third part, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know why I can't remember that. It's like the third or fourth time that's happened. 
حسبنا الله ونعمل الوكيل اللهم ذكرنا ما نسينا So the point is that the person who seeks knowledge they always want more and the person who seeks wealth they always want more it's never enough it's never enough I know people who it was their lifelong goal to retire with a million dollars because that's what they were told that if you're going to retire you have to have a million dollars otherwise you can't retire comfortably right and they got to a million dollars and they're like well it's not enough I need more you know I wish I could have got to 1.2 or I wish I could have got to 1.4 and I'm just like I wish I could have got to my rent <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just unbelievable subhanAllah but once you have it you all, people who are if that's what they're about that's what they're about and they always want more right so his detachment and his neediness of the world actually increased him in his detachment from the world and how could a detachment like his lead to anything how could a neediness like his lead to anything other than that like his his neediness is the type of neediness that's like it's the good one to have you know is that concept of die before you die mm-hmm. yeah die before you die yeah, it's a big concept and there's like seven or eight different types of deaths but I can't I don't remember them right now but yeah like die in the sense of you die from your neediness for the material world you want to you want your neediness for the material world to die before you actually physically die so this is you know it's so the prophet so I send them was he was needing the world and he was it only increased him in his detachment from the world and then he says and how could the world uh, tempt him with worldliness how could need tempt him with worldliness when but for him the world would not have emerged from non-existence? There's hadith that are sometimes debated, which one of them I think is not debated, but the Prophet said, I was a prophet while Adam was still between the spirit and the body. So I was a prophet while Adam was still between the spirit and the body. Meaning in the celestial existence, the co- before this world came into existence, the Prophet was already a prophet. So you know like in the verse about how Allah says that he held all of the souls of the people and he asked them, do you believe, do you bear witness that I exist? And they said, we bear witness. It's in, I think, Surah Al-A'raf. Um, that's before the creation of Adam, salam, right? So there's a hadith where the Prophet says, I was a prophet before Adam, when Adam was between the spirit and the body. Then, so, I don't want to open this huge debate. Basically, there's a huge debate. It's not really so consequential in, in the actual practice of things, so I don't want us to get lost in it. But there's... There's a concept that the first thing that was created was the the light of the Prophet them, and then everything came out after that. So the idea is that in very brief, you can believe in it, you cannot, it's not like one of those things that's gonna take you in or out of Islam. But it's um the idea is that Allah is the absolute manifestation of all all attributes and qualities, right? He is Allah. He is absolute. He has he is described by attributes uh, that are that have jalal and they have jamal. That some of them are magnificent and some of them are beautiful. 
So, and, and that's also part of the, this, and this theory, that's also part of the reason why you see bad in the world. Is because when Allah creates the world, Allah is absolute in all of those qualities, and all of those qualities are intrinsic, they're, they're, they're Allah's attributes. But then when He, then it says that the, 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 the ultimate finite manifestation of those attributes is the Prophet like finite as in this world it doesn't mean that he has the knowledge that, the perfect knowledge that Allah has but he has perfect knowledge as much as a human being can have it doesn't mean that he has the patience that Allah has when we say that Allah is sabur but it means that he has the amount of patience that in the perfect way that a human being can have and so on then after that all of creation is created some things have the magnificent sides that some things have tints of the magnificent sides of Allah's creation and some things have tints of the beautiful sides of Allah's creation so you have like the flower and you have the mountains or you have uh, strength and you have softness and sometimes that strength can manifest itself then in the worldly realm in ways that are not beautiful but it's still the 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 at its base level it's it's that strength is still in a finite manifestation of the power of Allah in the cosmic sense it's to the point is that's what he's referring to here when he says how could the dunya tempt him when the dunya would not have come into existence if it wasn't for him he's saying that all of this was created so that the prophet them could be the prophet them and carry the message of worshipping God. The Prophet knew the reality of the world, to get more practical. The Prophet knew the reality of the world. This is the point we'll stop on. And its, mean, and its meanness in the sight of Allah, because Allah the Most High said, the life of the world is but play and jest. The life of this world is but play and jest. And Allah also said, the example of the life of this world is but like rain that we send down from the sky. So Allah said, the like of this world is like rain. The life of this world is like rain that we send down from the sky. Qadi Abu Bakr ibn al-Arabi, this is not the uh, quote-unquote Sufi ibn Arabi, this is the Qadi ibn Arabi. There's two of them. So this is Abu Bakr ibn al-Arabi, he said, there are several benefits found in likening the world to rain. So he makes four points. This Ibn al-Arabi, his commentary on the Qur'an is, mashallah, it's unbelievable. And his commentary on hadith, they're unbelievable. They're so, like the way he structures it and the way he thinks about it and the points he brings, it's, it's incredible. He was an Andalusian scholar, rahimahullah. So he said there's, four, there's several benefits found in likening the world to rain. The first is that rain does not come down through stratagem. Likewise for the world... For it is only gained through apportioning. Allah the Most High says, we apportioned for them their livelihood. So he's saying the world is like rain. Because rain, you don't choose where it lands. And you don't choose how much lands in any particular place. He said the dunya is the same. Allah has decreed some for some people. He's decreed other things for other people. It comes down in different ways. So it's similar in this, in this way. The second benefit lies in the fact that rain comes down on account of begging, longing, and fervent prayer. Likewise, the world and its provisions are obtained through longing and supplication. So although number one is the general rule, number two is also there. 
is that we have a rain prayer in Islam. Right? The interesting thing is there was a rain prayer in Northern California and a rain prayer in Southern California and after both of them it rained. There was a big communal one that happened in both places. But there's a rain prayer in Islam. So he's saying that the rain also is similar to the world because if we beg Allah and we long for Him and we ask Him to send rain, He'll send rain. And it's similar for risk, provisions in this world. That it, it may not, if had we not done that, maybe it wasn't going to come. But in that begging and longing, it comes. The third benefit is that in one place, raise, rain, this is very, very important. The third benefit is that in one place, rain is a cause of life. And in another place, it is a cause of destruction. Likewise with wealth. For the one who deserves it, wealth is a cause of obedience. And he spends it for the sake of good. But for the one who does not deserve it, wealth is a cause of destruction and transgression. And he spends it on different types of disobedience. So rain is like that too, right? We were driving home the other day and there was a, a, a leak. Like It happened right when we were driving. There was the, the, the drain in the street. All of a sudden this water came surging out of the drain. And it was running all down the street. And I was just, we kind of like turned around to look at what's going on. And I was telling my wife, I was saying, SubhanAllah, water is such a trip. Because everything depends upon it, and yet it's so powerful and it can be so destructive. You know, like, when we, uh, the home we live in, it was under warranty. And there was a leak. And when we called the, the builder and they fixed the leak, they come and they check all, all the wood around it to make sure that there's no sign. They have a little machine to make sure there's no mildew and mold and all of these kind of things. And if they find it, then they cut the piece out and they replace the whole thing because the water is that dangerous. Right? So it's, it's the same thing that helps is also so destructive. It's the same thing with this world. Sometimes it can be good for someone that they have provisions and wealth and so on. And for other people, it can be a means of their destruction. The fourth benefit is that rain is beneficial when it comes down in a measure that is needed, but harmful when it comes down more than needed. Likewise with wealth, if it is enough for one's needs, it is beneficial and pleasurable, but if it exceeds that, it harms them and they transgress the limits with it and may neglect its rights and that are due upon them or spend extravagantly on their desires. So this is also very similar. So I said, look how interesting Ibn al-Arabi is so profound. <laughs> Allah just says, the life of the world is like rain we send down from the sky. Ibn Arabi tells you there's all of these reasons why it's similar and breaks it down. Right? So we'll stop here inshallah and um, we'll continue next time on a very beautiful verse which is Muhammadun Sayyidun Kawnaini wa Thaqalain wa Fariqaini min Urbin wa min Ajami that he is Muhammad the master of both abodes, of both kinds, and both classes of people, the Arabs and the non-Arabs. So he's Sayyidina Muhammad wasallam. He's the Sayyid of everything in creation. He's the master of everything. Sayyidina Muhammad